Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Olivia Martinez-Haugi. She's a marriage and family therapist specializing in the treatment of families, couples, and individuals who are caregiving for children or adults with neurodiversity. She's also a licensed occupational therapist with over two decades of experience helping children and their families. She's the mother of three children, two with neurodiversity, and she is currently co-director of the Center for Connection and Neurodiversity in Duarte, California. Welcome, Olivia. Hi, thank you for having me. Welcome. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm always happy to like speak to people <laughs> well, <laughs> after yes. this year pandemic. I know. How many kids do you have and how old? Uh, I have a lot. I have three and they're always around. My 13-year-old Ryan is my daughter, and my middle is 10. He's Mateo, and my youngest is Cruz, and he is 8. Olivia, we have children exactly the same age. So Do we really? We're going to be close. I'm 12, just turned 11 and 9, but like it's basically the same spread. Jinx, yeah. But I got boy, boy, girl. But other than that, we're in the same realm. Yeah. And they're always around, aren't they? Uh, lately, yeah. <laughs> I will say mine being back in school remains like, oh. it's almost, I would never wish for the pandemic. Let's just be very clear. It was horrible. Right. I realize it was much more horrible for some. But it has really made me appreciate not having them in the house. I mean, my kids are in school. So your kids are probably <laughs> out of school already, right? California. Yeah, we're out of school. And we chose mm. not to send them back after, you know, the schools opened up just because of our schedules and stuff. But, you know, it did make me appreciate why I am not a stay-at-home mom, <laughs> why I chose to not be a stay-at-home mom. But anyway, it was an interesting year. I love the laughing in the face of motherhood because nothing was funnier than being at home with the kids during the pandemic. And certainly if you didn't laugh, there was only other one other option. Oh, a barrel of monkeys, wasn't it? Can I ask you sort of a nerdy question to begin? I'm honestly curious. The word neurodiverse versus the word special needs. I feel like we're moving towards, as a society, using the word neurodiverse more. Do they mean the same thing? Are they interchangeable? Is neurodiverse preferable? Can you explain that to me? Yeah, I think as a community and as we begin to grow and know more about disability and really adopting and listening to the person 
with the lived experience. We're going into this and hopefully we continue to grow as a society into this more, a better understanding of disabilities. And so I think it's just a word that can help encompass disability. And I mean, I don't know if I'm answering the question right, but I feel like it is a movement going more towards science and what we know through brain research and really accepting someone's identity as being neurodiverse. And neurodiverse, I think also as a parent of a neurodiverse child, it is brain-centered in terms of like learning and access, correct? So yes, it is a distinction, I think, between special needs as an umbrella that could include a kid who has a problem with their leg or a problem with their sight, maybe, right? And neurodiverse is slightly more centered on children who have sort of brain function differences, correct? Yeah. And I think that that's where we're really needing to focus too, is that a child that is demonstrating some kind of behavior that we don't like, or, you know, some sort of compulsion or issue in that area, that there's an actual reason, there is a neurologic reason that that is occurring. And so we need to look at that rather than just sort of the observable behaviors that we see. There's a reason behind that. There's a why. And you started your journey into this uh, experience and path that you're on now as a therapist for parents of kids with special needs. Yes. And then you had a child, a neurodiverse child yourself. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was an occupational therapist for about seven years before I had my daughter, Ryan. As all moms are, I think, I was going into motherhood with a certain expectation. I was entering into being a mom with all these ideas of what kind of mom I'm going to be and what my daughter's going to be like and, you know, the gymnastic classes that I'll take her to and (laughs) and walking arm in arm down, you know, through the mall. And when I had her, it was an instantaneous, the air was sucked out of the delivery Mm. room. It was one of those moments where... They held her up and I said, something is terribly wrong. And I, in that moment, literally went 40 years into the future and was like, my husband and I will never be able to travel. We're never, you know, this little girl's never going to leave our home. And boy, it sent me in a tailspin. We have a phrase for that on the podcast. It's called catastrophizing. (laughs) The kid pulled a fire alarm at school. This means I need to prepare for a life of them being, you know. Yeah. Life is a 'er ne'er-do-well. Yeah. Completely (laughs) off the normal path. Totally, totally. And it was, you know, she wasn't 30 seconds old. And I turned to my husband, I'm like, our lives are over. And we, you know, I just that set myself on a trajectory of depression and anxiety. And for a number of years, just dealing with if not upfront anxiety, just this like low level vibration of anxiety that just covered everything that I was just constantly and always anxious about something. And it took me a long time to recognize and to realize that I was basically grieving my expectations, that I went through grief. And was this something that you had seen in parents you had worked with before? Could you recognize as you were going through this, like, oh, this is the grief cycle that a parent might go through? Oh, 
totally. When I was, so then like, it was a good two years of depression and then the fog was sort of lifting. And then I was able to like see other parents, you know, and go, you're here in the grief cycle. And by the way, you know, the grief cycle for parents with neurodiverse kids, it's not a cycle. Mm. It's a ball of like, you know, Christmas lights that are all entangled with each other. But yeah, it made me a better therapist. It made me a better communicator. And I was able to recognize in someone else, like that anger you're feeling is really fear. It's fear for the future that you're really not angry with me, but you're afraid of what the future is going to hold. Or, you know, one of the common things that happens is if a therapist is saying, you know, okay, your child is graduating from services or whatever, and the parent sort of erupts in this, you know, wait, no, you can't go. It's the fact that I'm triggering loss you know, that there's some level of loss there, that I'm part of their community and they don't want to lose someone that's part of their community. I think when you talk about the grief, it's interesting because I think as we've matured in our kind of thought process about right. people who operate in any other way, anything that we used to consider the norm, any kid who operates outside of that, that we're understanding more that there's a lot of ways to be and that acceptance and understanding that like we aren't here to pull people towards this central norm, which I think maybe our parents' generation thought that was our goal. Totally. Yes. At the same time, it is okay and natural to feel feelings of some grief around any kid pictured within that central norm who is now outside of that, that's a different path. It's still a grieving process that you're not going to be quite in that center that you pictured. Right, for sure. Yeah. And I think we need to honor everybody's lived experiences and honor the true feelings. Because if we deny that part, now that I've matured, as you said, and I see things, I definitely see things differently than I did you know, 13 years ago. And if I sort of shy away from saying that I grieved because maybe the neurodiverse population is saying, well, you know, you shouldn't have grieved. We're everything is okay. I hear that. Yes. And I agree with you. I wish that I knew now what I knew 13 years ago, but I needed to go through that process. I had to go through that process to get to where I am now where I have certainties, you know, if I skipped things and along the way, then I kind of would feel like a little shaky. But man, my feet are on the ground and I'm fully comfortable with where I am now today. And that's good advice for people who are starting this journey. Like it is a process to move from one side of that to the other. Right. And I think that that's a interesting thing to put in people's path. And I always like to widen these discussions. We have an audience, maybe you don't have a neurodiverse child at home, but you have a child who you thought was going to be a ballerina because that was always <laughs> your dream. Right. And they're really bad at dancing. Like right. That's what our conversation is about. What did it look like for Olivia? And what can we learn from for that? Every parent is on this same path, which is how I thought this was going to go versus how it's turning out. Right. And how we can support each other on that journey. Right, for sure. Yeah, no, I love that. I certainly would say, you know, I've done enough obsessively researching, you know, worrying, anxiety, uh, a sadness for about a hundred moms. <laughs> I've done it for you. And I certainly 
want to say, you know, that your journey is very individualized. And so, you know, my hope is that by talking about it and normalizing it and saying that this is very, what the feelings that you're feeling are very common, that helps them on their journey just a little bit more. Because I really do feel there's very little I regret because I just choose not to regret a lot of things. But the things that I do regret are some years where I spent too much time obsessing, too much time actually being her therapist and not her mom. And I'd like to say that I sort of redid that with my number three child who has autism. And I took a completely different approach with him so that I don't lose those years. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to hear more about this new approach. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. The other thing that is sort of a perhaps an inescapable part of parenting a neurodivergent kid is the isolation that comes with it. The fear isolates you, the feeling that nobody else understands what you're going through, the exhaustion, right, of dealing with it every day and then not really wanting to do the small talk at the parents' meeting because why are we talking about these silly, silly things? And yet that makes you, I suppose, less able to parent 
your kid when you are, as you said, working as the therapist, as the full-time researcher, and not as the full person. Right. Was that part of your journey to sort of refine the other parts of yourself that weren't the parent, the therapist, the OT, and everything else? Yeah. And let me just go back for a moment. Logistically, I think the isolation, just based on logistics, you know, like I couldn't just go to a busy park and meet some friends, you know, because my friends would let their children go play and my child can't just go and play. You know, I would have to be over there. So, you know, I was literally isolated going out into the playground and playing with my Mm, child when my friends were, you know, sipping Chardonnay on a picnic blanket. But yeah, I had to, okay, well, if I'm not her therapist and I'm not going to spend 24-7 figuring out how to quote unquote fix her, then what do I do? And I really struggled with being that mom and not allowing those voices in my head to say, you know, well, this is a really good therapeutic moment right here. We should be teaching her how to use a spoon and a fork. And we should, you know, oh, we need to do some weight bearing exercises to really get her shoulders, you know, strong and whatever. That took a lot of holding myself back and really going to what I knew for certain, which is that play is, you know, the ultimate medicine and playing with her as opposed to therapizing her. I think an interesting aspect of that, and you talk about this, is when you have a kid who has any kind of uh, need that you can get very hung up on, and this happens for all parents, developmental milestones. Is your kid hitting the developmental milestones? Are they, you know, everybody's like, are they sitting up by age this? Are they saying their first words by age that? And this is something that we see people, I mean, parenting boards are full of this kind of stuff. And sometimes kids are not hitting those milestones. And we always tell parents, here's the secret. You can't affect a lot of outcomes. You're not as in charge of outcomes. But I think with, you know, I'm going to say special needs parents, which I hope people understand. I'm talking about a broad range of things. We don't have that much control anyway, but somehow we think we do. For sure. And, you know, a funny story to me now, not then, was when you're pregnant, some moms register for those online baby things that tell you your child's the size of a grapefruit. And now it's a, you know, whatever. Cantaloupe. Right. (laughs) Once they're born, then they send you, your child should be cooing and your child should be sitting up right now, whatever. I tried to feverishly delete my account and it never deleted. Oh my goodness. And so every month I would get these like, you know, just little spears of daggers of Mm. reminders. Your child should be doing X, Y, and Z. Well, she was not even close to doing any of that stuff. So every month I would just give my, the big middle finger to my email when I (laughs) see it there. I'm like, so now I can laugh about it. Back then, I was like, oh my God, I got another email. And what does that process look like for someone who's right now with their middle finger up towards their email? Like, <laughs> what does that process look like getting from this is incredibly painful to where you are, which is through the other side of the looking glass on it. I mean, if you were talking to someone who's getting those emails right now, what would you say to them? Here's the bottom line, really, and where I kind of sit today, which is we live in a society where we say neurotypical is best. 
Right. And normal is the thing to aspire to. And because of, you know, my education and my own personal experience, my mom was born with profound hearing loss. And so she was deaf most of my life. And, you know, so my understanding of disability came from these stories where like my mom needed to deny her identity as a deaf person and try to go through life pretending she was not. And so that was the message she gave to me, you know, not purposefully, but basically this narrative of it's not okay to be disabled. It's not okay to have impairments and heaven forbid your child have any impairments. I really hope that doesn't happen to you. And so I had to find out for myself where these messages of disability came from and then unpack them and go, you know what? This has nothing to do with my daughter. This has mm. everything to do with the community, you know, outside of her. And she's only, and what's interesting about the pandemic is in our home, she looks less disabled than when she goes out into the society, but that is a model of disability you know, there's that medical model of disability that people with disabilities or impairments, they want to be fixed or they want to be normal. Mm. And so, you know, looking at the social model of disability, it is how can she access the world around her? And, you know, because one of the things that really started to shift my thinking is, you know, watch like something like Peppa Pig and the pig burps. And she is in hysterics. She is <laughs> belly laugh hysterics. She is a joyful person 24 hours a day. And I just thought, why would I ever want to change that? That is something I want to aspire to, to be belly laughing all day long. What kind of amazing life would that be that you're just in hysterics all day? So to go round and around back to your question, what I would say to the people who are giving the double barrel middle fingers to their emails is that start to look at what your narrative of disability is. And why are we aspiring to neurotypical and to normal when our kids are happy who they are, and we can what we really should be doing is fostering their identity and hugely their mental health. Yes. Not denying parts of them. I had never really thought of that before, how we as a society, you see something on Facebook, like this kid with Down syndrome graduated from college, and it's an incredible achievement, right? But that's a better outcome than the kid who didn't graduate from college. That's not necessarily the case. We do sort of celebrate the kids with neurodiversity or special needs who managed to achieve a more mainstream milestone. But those parents aren't more deserving of kudos than the kids who didn't graduate from college. I just never really thought about that, that we do put a lot of pressure on it to the stories we want to hear are the kids who made it anyway, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, you know, I have fought for inclusion for many years for my daughter. And one of the things I hear parents say who want their kids included in like a general education setting is we want neurotypical role right. models for their child. How about we just start saying, because our children have the right to be where everyone else is. And, you know, as opposed to 
we want them to be more normal or more typical. And, you know, I looked at, I watched, I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary Crypt Camp. Yeah. Oh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it right now. Finish this episode and then watch it. <laughs> yeah. No, finish this episode first. <laughs> Come on, people, use your head. <laughs> and then go plop yourself down and watch that documentary. But, you know, I just thought sitting there watching some of those final scenes and the final pictures, and I thought, why we should not be standing on the backs of these individuals at the same time trying to change them into you need to be more normal, right? So we shouldn't right. be celebrating and thanking these amazing individuals who fought for the rights of disabled people at the same time saying, you know, but it would be better if you were a little bit more normal or more typical. And so I came to a place for myself in parenthood was where I was tired. I was tired of being anxious. I was tired of being fearful of the future. I was tired of all of that stuff. And I just said, you know what, something's got to change. And so I just had to reframe things for myself and do a little self-discovery. That's the role modeling, not the role modeling of like, oh, let's role model kids to, you know, be more normal. It's like, let's role model figuring out how to love you know, we say if you judge the fish by its ability to ride a bicycle, you'll always be disappointed in the fish, you know, but like you're missing <laughs> right. out on swimming, which is pretty awesome and all the things a fish can do. Right. And I think that that's the role modeling is how do we figure out how to see people for who they are and celebrate who they are versus putting them in some kind of contest where they're not great because that's not what they were born to do. Right. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes... 
life stocks. I want to talk a little bit about how do moms make it easier in educational settings, in social settings, to be inclusive for kids who may have any kind of difference. Okay, so let's talk to the moms who don't have neurodiverse kids and who maybe have friends of, you know, friends. I think the number one thing that you should be doing is talking to your kids about disability. And it's not a taboo word. And it's not something to be shamed about or, you know, whispering about. If we're talking to our kids about race and bias and prejudice, we've got to be talking about disability as well. And how, you know, friend Martha's kid has autism. And, you know, I notice that when he's around, you know, a group of kids, he jumps up and down. What do you think that means? And what do you think he's feeling? And really having a legitimate conversation to help other kids not be afraid of kids with disabilities, not think they're weird or whatever, but really understanding where that's coming from and differences. And, you know, you might clap your hands, Johnny might jump up and down. And those two things are great. They're perfect. And the other thing I would say to parents of friends that with children with neurodiversity is don't stop inviting them to places. Let the parents figure out how to manage, you know, getting Johnny to a party or let the parent say yes or no, but don't stop inviting because you might think that it's too hard for them or whatever. You made a point in your writing that a kid with special needs or neurodiversity often has an entire team of people supporting them. Right? Oh, There's yeah. this kind of therapist, that kind of therapist, the aide in the classroom, whatever. But the parent does not have that support team. And that really blew my mind. I never really thought about that. And maybe some of us parents who I want to make sure to focus on how we can support our friends who have uh, neurodiverse kids, that we can make sure we are part of that support system in ways that are large and small. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just to reach, you know, reach out and, you know, it's a text message. How are you doing? How can I support you? Because, you know, at least it doesn't work for me to, for someone to say, hey, let me come over and watch your kids. That would be, oh my gosh, I would be stressed out. I would have to leave you six pages of explanation of, you know, when this happens, do this. So instead, you know, just say, how are things going today? Or, you know, can I pick you up something from the store? I'm running to the store because, you know, my kids are great, but getting them all to the store if I need to go pick up something is, you know, insane. So, you know, just I think the easiest question is, how can I support you today? is something that would could go a really long way and really continue, you know, your connection with that friend so that they don't feel isolated. Another thing I'll put in people's paths, although I am always loath to give people one more thing to do because I get it. Right. We got a lot to do. For sure. But if you have a kid with typical needs, it's also a great idea to be an advocate for whatever. You should be advocating for racial diversity. You should be advocating for kids with special needs. You can be advocating for LGBTQ kids. You can be a voice. You can join your SEPTA if your school has one, the special ed PTA. And just because you don't have a kid who is affected by this, first of all, you don't know what your kid has. You know, things come along in high school and your kid may need SEPTA support. You don't know. Right. It's a spectrum for a reason, right? There's a lot. Yeah. And so I do think that there's 
some part of people should be saying to themselves, how am I advocating for people who might need my advocacy if my kid doesn't happen to need it? Because, and part of that may be, do we have a system? Do we have an aide on the playground who's looking out for how to include kids of different abilities in play? That's a simple thing to advocate for. It's a budget thing. Maybe your school will say they can't do it. But I think I'm ready to challenge parents a little bit more to say, I don't care whether or not this issue affects you. It affects kids in your kid's class. And you should be figuring out how to be part of the solution for all the kids in your kid's class. For sure. Right. I think the kids that were in my daughter's class, for example, are better for having her in their class. I'm sure that's right. I think that learning that she is uh, smart and capable and, you know, I'm always saying presume competence, mm. presume her competence. So I think that while you may not have a child with neurodiversity, your child's going to encounter someone for sure with neurodiversity and that child's going to be better for it. And how is your child prepared, you know, to befriend that person, to support that person and, you know, hopefully learn from that person so that it isn't my child's in your class so that your child can be my child's role model, but vice versa, that my daughter Ryan can be your child's role model in many ways. I've seen it in my kid's school that is exceptional at this, where their inclusion comes to the point where you go to a program and a kid, you know, first grade will say, oh, this is Pete. He talks through his iPad. Let me show you how to communicate with him. And oh, so great. They're able to, the kids are able to figure this out. It's the parents who are like, oh, you won't draw from my child's educational resources with a <laughs> kid who needs an iPad to speak. Oh my goodness, that will be... The kids are fine, but I do think that this is somewhere where if you are a parent who has some resources and some time, you should be advocating for this because it sounds kind of cliche for us as parents who have kids who deal with this to be like, really, you'll learn so much more. Like, I'm not saying I hear you as a cliche. I'm saying right. people may think like, oh, that's just something people say because they want their kids included. It's actually true. For sure. No. And luckily, I was extremely lucky to be able to bring my daughter to the district I worked in to a school who was very inclusive and, you know, was very and had that sort of community of children because you're totally right. The kids are fine. It's the adults who are pathologizing what the kids are doing that are sending these messages of, you know, these kids are not fine. These kids are, you know, misbehaving and that sort of thing. But the kids should be, you know, can run the classroom. They know what to do and they know they're the best regulators too. If you ever watch a kid, you know, maybe a kid having a meltdown or, you know, having a tantrum of some kind, children can be the best regulators because they know what to do and they know how to come alongside and to partner without all of this other, you know, pathologizing and, you know, taking control of the situation and that kind of a thing. So, yeah, I love the way that kids, it's us that screw them. <laughs> it's us that screw them. <laughs> 
We've been talking to Olivia Martinez-Haugi. She's the co-director of the Center for Connection and Neurodiversity in Duarte, California. Tell us about the center and the work that you do there. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So after, you know, a little over 20 years in school, working as an OT in schools, I am taking this huge leap with my work wife, Amanda. We're co-directors of the Center for Connection and Neurodiversity, which is an affiliate site to the Center for Connection in Pasadena. And we are going to offer occupational therapy and other disciplines to try to provide parents a multidisciplinary approach because as OTs, we see kids as a whole, right? We're always looking at the whole child. And so, and this kind of comes back to what you were saying about the parents needing support. You know, we're really wanting to provide not only the child support, but the parent support in helping them go through this process. And just knowing that someone is there and, you know, we can help you, we can listen to you, we can support you in different ways. And so I'm just really excited. And we're hoping that once the doors are, we're on a sort of a soft launch, but once the doors are fully opened, you know, I'm really hoping to provide services that was so hard to find for my own child. You know, I couldn't find a dance class that was able to accommodate her. I cannot find a karate class. I cannot find an art class. And, you know, I think the idea is that our kids, the neurodiverse kids, disabled kids, don't want to do that. Like <laughs> They don't want to or they don't have an interest No, it's not that they don't have an interest. It's that we haven't presented it to them in a way that it's accessible to them. So we're really hoping to provide sort of these quote unquote gap services or gap, you know, sports or things that can help parents find things in one place. Great. I'll put the link to the Center for Connection and Neurodiversity in the show notes and make sure everybody can find it. And you, this has been such a useful conversation. Thanks so much, Olivia. It was great talking to you. Oh, I love talking to you guys. Thanks. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.